Hello, my friends. A few days ago, a producer at ABC asked if I'd be willing to be interviewed for a documentary they were making about Bill Clinton. I agreed. Then I learned that the documentary is to be shown immediately after his death. What? Is he dying? I asked, shocked. Oh, no, they said. It's, it's for the archive. You mean it's for whenever he dies, even if that's 20 years from now? Exactly. Even if you and I are long gone by then? Yep. Well, I was just interviewed in my office at Berkeley, and at first it all seemed weirdly morbid. Was I supposed to talk about Clinton in the past tense? Should I give only the sort of glowing tribute accorded former presidents when they pass? Would it be inappropriate to say anything even slightly critical of him or his presidency? After five minutes or so, I forgot all about the weirdness, and I just talked. I met Bill Clinton in September 1968 on the USS United States, sailing from New York City to Southampton, England. We were 22 years old. He and I, along with 30 other young American men, had won Rhodes scholarships to study at Oxford. I'm sure, had women been allowed to compete then, well, Bill and I would not have won. We were heading to England by ship because that had been the tradition for newly selected Rhodes scholars. Six days at sea was supposed to give scholars time to get to know one another. But on this voyage, the crossing was so stormy that most of us spent a good part of the time alone in our cabins, seasick. I met Bill when I heard a loud knock on my door. I staggered to the door to open it up. There was a tall, curly-haired fellow with a big grin, holding a bowl of chicken soup. Hi, my name is Bill, he said in a syrupy southern accent that I can't hope to imitate as the ship rolled and the soup sloshed. I hear you weren't feeling well. Thought this might help. He handed me the bowl. Now, he didn't say, I feel your pain. That came later on his presidential campaign. Well, that's awfully kind of you, I said, taking the bowl in both my hands while trying to steady myself and not barf on him. I'm Bob, I stammered. I'd invite you in, but, oh, oh, that's okay. We'll have time later. I'm from Arkansas. Well, that's really great, I said. I'm from a little town in New York State. It's amazing, isn't it? He grinned. The soup was sloshing over the sides of the bowl, and I was desperately... Well, just I desperately needed to use the John. Uh, or what? What's amazing? Uh, small town boys. Did you ever think you and I would be here? No, I said. But I'm sorry. I really have to. Oh, don't worry. I'll get. I'll be getting on. He turned and walked off, his hand on the wall of the corridor as the ship rolled. Thanks again. I called after him. Very nice of you. I was genuinely touched. He waved as he walked away. Despite the rough seas, the journey felt restorative, an escape from a nation that seemed to be, well, losing its mind and moral compass. Bobby Kennedy had been assassinated a few months before. Gene McCarthy's presidential bid had gone nowhere. Democrats were about to nominate Lyndon Johnson's vice president, Hubert Humphrey. Republicans were nominating the abominable Richard Nixon. American cities were up in flames. The Vietnam War continued unabated. 
My other recollection from that voyage occurred in the ship's stateroom, one of my few outings from the cabin. The stateroom was almost empty except for a pale, gray, thin man sitting at a far table, smoking a cigarette. I sat down and introduced myself. He told me his name was Bobby Baker. Now, of all the people to be on this ship, Bobby Baker was the last I expected, or wanted to talk with. If you don't remember, Baker had been a crony of Lyndon Johnson's. He was secretary to the Democratic Party when LBJ was Senate Majority Leader, until Robert Kennedy, as Attorney General, exposed Baker's alleged deals with organized crime, and Baker was forced to resign. Kennedy's investigation led to allegations that Johnson himself received kickbacks from military uh, contractors. It was rotten stuff. Even worse, when several newspapers found evidence that Baker had also been involved in procuring women for JFK. We exchanged a few words, and then I excused myself, pointing to my stomach. He said he understood. I headed back to my cabin. That Bobby Baker had chosen to travel to England on this particular ship seemed a cruel, ironic joke, as if to say there was no real escape. Days later, after landing in Southampton and taking a bus to Oxford, Bill and I were assigned digs at the same Oxford college, called University College. Legend has it that the college was founded around 866 by King Alfred. I vaguely recall a a disagreement among the faculty there a few weeks later over whether it should celebrate its 1,100th, 1,100th anniversary in 1966. Detractors grousing that once they began celebrating every hundred years, there'd be no end to the festivities. We spent the next two years talking about Vietnam, American politics. Bill already had his eye on becoming governor of Arkansas. Food. He liked British hamburgers, which I found revolting. And, of course, British girls. And he had an endless stream of stories about people he knew from Arkansas. Arkansas politicians and odd and funny bits of American history he'd picked up along the way. I did not inhale with him. To say that Bill Clinton at the age of 22 enjoyed people and conversation is to underestimate the voraciousness of his appetite. We were so young then. Boys, really. And we were out of America for the first time in our lives. It was glorious. That's at least the start of what I told ABC about Bill Clinton.